0: Good morning. I got a note. I love it. Love you, Chad. Um, My name's Chad. One of the pastors here. It's a joy to be with you. I want to welcome everybody online as well. It's great to be in the presence of the Lord. Not sure how you came in, and I don't mean which door. I mean this door and how you're feeling and how you are experiencing the world, but we are going to encounter Jesus Christ together in his word this morning, if you didn 't get one of these uh, they 're out there we 're going to be sharing the lord 's table at the end. So you online who are watching maybe take some a moment now to go grab something uh, some of the elements so we can spend that time together. I want to give you a quick update before I pray. Um, the scripture says to share our need, and uh, one of the things that I believe, and uh, I wrote this in here, and I pray it all the time. Uh, One of our board members said it to me probably a year ago, and it just hasn't left me. This church belongs to Jesus Christ. It's his, and he has been upholding it for over 100 years, and so we trust him to continue to do that, Um, but it doesn't mean that he won't allow certain moments where we might need to lean in and trust him a little more, kind of like how he's allowing some things in the world, I don't know, right now that are causing all of us to have to trust him, you know. So we have a bit of a financial right now. Um, Our giving is down about 10%. And if you were tracking with us early in the year, you remember from last year to this, we did not project any increase in giving. We kept it the same. And so we're down about 10%, which can be a good chunk. Um, I'm just saying to you to talk to Jesus. That's it. You know, that's all we ever say. I don't know who gives. I really don't. I have no idea if you give or not. I don't want to know. there's one person I know about their giving. It's me. And it's because I have the conversation with Jesus and he prompts me and it's an act of worship and it's a joy for our family to give. That's all we ask you to do. And so usually my prayers go something like this. Lord, I sure hope to get doing this for a job. That'd be awesome. Second thing I pray is this is your church. You can do whatever you want. And so Lord, talk to your people. That's how we approach it. And so we trust him. No guilt, no shame. Scripture's clear about that. But it does say, hey, give joyfully. Have that conversation with Jesus. So there's that. Speak with him. See. um, And fully aware that some people are not in a position right now to give. It's okay. Other people will. And we'll trust Jesus with the results. Cool? Awesome. Let's pray. Lord, uh, you know, I hate doing that. But there you go. I was obedient. Um, we love you this morning. We miss you. Um, this Christmas feels different. It's not like some of the others, Lord. There's, um, this cloud hanging over us uh, with COVID and all the things that are going on. And so we need to experience you. We ask that you would show up just the way you do in this morning. That as we open your word, that we would hear your voice, God, that it would, find its way through all of our silly defenses, uh, tearing down every stronghold we think we have barricaded against you, which in your, the way it works with you is it's almost like a pillow fort. You just bust right through. You can get to our hearts. You can get to the depth of who we are. Your word says it is living and active and able to pierce to the division of soul and spirit to get down in there to the deepest places of who we are. And so would you do that? Would you use the word of God this morning to come after us? And would your spirit apply it to our hearts, give us grace to listen, and respond? And God, I pray for joy this morning. I pray for joy. Lord, I love the line uh, in that opening song. Um, hearts unfold like flowers before you. God, may we... Sense the warmth of your spirit, your truth, who you are, and may it cause us to respond to you. Open up our hearts this morning. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. If you have a copy of God's word, I encourage you to have one um, more than your phone, I would say, at at least in your house. Um, It's a good thing. It's a good thing to hold a book. It's a good thing to write in it. Whenever we have our phones, it's easier to be distracted by other things. And so I love having the book. And I've got one. This is the one I keep at work. And I've got one that's by my chair where I have chair time every day. Um, told you guys I've got my routine coffee, sourdough toast, Jesus, fire, boom, there we go. And it just feels right. And I want to hear what he says to me in the morning. And so um, when you spend time with him, when you open God's word, um, Sorry, Luke chapter six. Open your Bibles to Luke six. Open your phones, Luke six. When you spend time with him, did you know that every single verse in the Bible, every story, every truth, every theme that is presented has one goal? And you can give me that goal because it's the Sunday school answer. It's Jesus. It is to get you to see Jesus. And so as you watch Jesus Tell stories, give sermons, start to talk about something. His goal is that you would see him. And if you don't see him with one picture or one metaphor, then he's like, well, how about this one? And then how about this one? And I'll try this and I'll try this. Whatever it takes to get you to see him and to respond to him. And so this morning, we're going to have three little kind of vignette stories that are in this same sermon that Pastor Daniel started with last week. And the goal is for you to see Jesus, for you to respond to Jesus, for you to hear his voice for you this morning. So Luke chapter six, um, we're going to start in 36. That one's not going to be on the screen, but I just want to read it to you because it is a great setup for what Jesus is trying to say in the the bunch of verses that we're going to read this morning. And so it says this. So just listen, this one's not on the screen. Verse 36, be merciful, show mercy, even as your father is merciful. Be merciful, even as your father is merciful. You need that for the context of what he's about to say. Now let's look at verse 37. Judge not, you will not be judged. Condemn not, you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For With the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Makes sense? So he said, let me tell you another story to see if this helps take it deeper. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Won't they both fall into a pit? If the blind man says, yeah, this way, this way, I'm pretty sure there's a step out here somewhere. What's gonna happen? You're gonna fall. Can a blind man lead a blind man? No. Won't they both fall into a pit? Yes. Jesus is kind of, he's he's getting them to do this nodding things. He's teaching. A disciple's not above his teacher. But everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Jesus is the teacher. Obviously, the goal is for us to be like him. We will never be above him. But this is the part. You need to be like me. What's he implying? You're not (laughs) when you're judging. You're not when you're blind and leading other people who are blind. Verse 41. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out that speck that's in your eye. And you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye. You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. These verses contain one of the most quoted sayings or truths of Jesus Ever. Ever. Now, this is anecdotal a little bit. This is my observation, but I think it would also be your observation. And you might hear it once a week. You might hear somebody else say it. You might see it in a movie, a book, a conversation, a disagreement in a fun sort of way. But what is that one thing that is quoted that you hear all the time? It's this, don't you judge me. Don't you judge me. Now, sometimes it's funny. You're reaching for the cookie and you go, don't judge me. I'm having this cookie. I've only had one. This is my second. Don't judge me. It's a funny thing. Other times it's somebody calls you out for something you're doing. Let's just call it sin, right? Somebody calls you out on a sin and you say, don't judge me. I know that you did this. So we kind of do this one, two punch. Don't mess with me. How about in church? Sometimes we say, we shouldn't judge them. Jesus says not to judge. God is love. So, you know, he who casts the first, like we start like just pulling like crazy. It's like we got this bouquet of verses. He who casts the first stone is the first one to fall into the pit with a lion on a snowy day and have his eyes be blinded and his ear. you know, like we just start messing and throwing stuff around. Don't judge. So we are the, we're classic. Just pull it out. It's like freeze dried verses, open it up. Leave me alone. It is the get out of jail free card. That's why we love it. We love it because if somebody calls us out, what can we do? How do we not have to deal with what they're saying? Don't judge me. Jesus says, don't judge. Go away. Mic drop. Zinger. I'm out. Come back. Right? That's what we do with it. Don't you judge me. So, What's the problem with judging? Isn't it a good thing? Like, why would Jesus bring this up? It's, isn't it a good thing not to judge? Especially since Jesus said it, shouldn't we just leave everybody alone and nobody mess with anybody's stuff? Is that what, isn't that what Jesus is saying? Well, no, that's not what he's saying. How do I know that? Well, he begins the passage with judge not and he ends the passage with make sure you judge having removed the plank from your eye. Where does it say that? Take the log out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly for what to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Oh, wait a minute. We're supposed to, we're, we're supposed to do that. Jesus said, yeah, I'm not saying never judge. I'm saying, just don't be a hypocrite when you do. I, you need to point out, that's, we need each other. We need to sharpen each other. We need people to call us out. Think about your life. Have there been people, maybe your parents, maybe friends, people in your life who have called you out on some level of activity or attitude or something, and it has shaped you, changed you? God's used it? Yeah, that's a part of life. So let's back up the truck a little bit. Back a little bit. Why is Jesus talking about judgment at all? Okay, this is what you got to do when you read God's word. Surface thing is, yeah, pick and choose the verse. It's great. God is love. Don't judge. Case closed, right? Mm, not really. That's not how God's word works. God's word, he's like, yeah, that was the hook. That was how I got you in. Now watch me reel you into the boat. Because he wants to go deeper. Why is Jesus talking about Judging. Why does he think that might be something they will relate to? Well, do you have this thing inside of you that knows when something's wrong? I showed this picture. I don't have it today. I'm not going to show it, but I remember you've probably seen it in history books. It's from Vietnam. My daughter's from Vietnam. So real special place. And my dad was called up for the draft. His number was never chosen. And so I grew up just thinking about the Vietnam War. I knew people, friends of his that went. I know the hurt that was there. And there's this one famous picture of this little girl who has napalm, has gone off in her village, and it was so extreme that it burned off her clothes. She's little, and she is running down this jungle road, completely naked, screaming. You may know that picture? When I see that picture, I say, that is wrong. Why do I do that? What inside of me causes me to say that is wrong? Because implying that something's wrong means that I think there's a way that would be right. What do I, when I see that, I can't help but think about my little girl. And I, somebody needs to help her. And I, sure enough, I followed up on that lady and she grew up. There's her story, just major redemption major redemption. The Lord had met her. So really cool stuff to follow up from that picture. But there's something in us that says there's right and there's wrong. Why is there right and wrong? Why do we feel like we need to judge somebody or to say you shouldn't do that or you should do this? Jesus says, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's why I'm talking. That's why I'm going there because you know why I made that up. I put that inside of you. I have a key that can unlock that part of your heart. I'm the one who made that innate sense of right and wrong. And if you learn about apologetics and actually having a conversation with somebody who doesn't believe there's a God, doesn't believe there's absolute truth, you can, not in a zinger kind of way or a mic drop way, but you can ask and say, hey, well, let's talk about, it. do you believe that there are right things and that there are wrong things? And they'd be like, well, sure, you shouldn't do this, people shouldn't do this to other people. Why do you believe that? Well, we've just, and the argument usually goes like this. If it's somebody who is an atheist, they would say, well, we've just evolved over the years and decided that was a better way to live. And so the conversation going back would say, well, what about this? Couldn't it be evidence that there is a higher power because we have this sense of right and wrong and that there is absolute truth. So Jesus put that in there. And so when he talks about judging it is on the surface about you learning how to do that in a better way, to judge without hypocrisy and with humility and with discernment. But more than that, he wants you to focus on something. And he wants you to focus on some one. Actually, it's just one person. And this is the case with every truth in the Bible, what I said before, with every truth, every story. And Jesus right here, what is he doing with the story? What is he doing with talking about judging? What is he trying to get them to do? Click, 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 click. I am pulling you to the boat. And who has a hold of this fishing rod? Jesus does. I am pulling you to me. So as it deals with judging, forgiving, removing specks or logs, what should we be thinking about? Judge Jesus. Judge Jesus. The ultimate Judge. Now, what's that image of? Anybody know that? Lady Justice. Justice. There we go. So she is, you can't see it. There's the hilt of the sword in the bottom there, but she is holding a sword down here. And even the way that the statue is done, she's holding it down here. Notice it isn't like this. Why? Because justice needs to be served. We need to find out, is there wrong? Is there right? You don't begin with the sword swinging. It's down. But there is the potential for Justice, punishment to be delivered, blindfolded. We know this, justice is supposed to be blind. Not based on the person, at least in our system, but based on the merits of the case, the facts, the evidence, those kinds of things. And then a scale, equality, not where something is weighed in one direction or another, but blind justice. Now, we don't have to be convinced that this doesn't, necessarily always happen in our world, does it? No, we don't. We know there are people that know how to work the system, discredit witnesses, even if the evidence is clear, all those kinds of things. But did you know that there is a judge who does it perfectly every time? Remember, we started with Jesus just asking a question about, hey, let's talk about you guys judging each other, having a problem with somebody else's activity and calling them out. And what's he really doing though? He's like pulling you in, getting you closer to see him, the judge. That's what he wants us to think about. Judge Jesus. Now he's also talking about forgiveness too. Interesting. Condemnation, forgiveness, almost in the same sentence. Why do I think Jesus wants us to focus on the fact that he is the judge and not just on how we should treat other people. Well, he's asking them to consider whether or not the way they are handing out judgment might be something they deserve too. What's he doing? He's like talking about here's how you should when you look at that person, and you can imagine somebody saying there, "Jesus, they're so bad, look at this, what they did, all this stuff." He's like, "Oh yeah." just kind of turns the light onto their heart and says, "Let's look at yours." How are you delivering judgment? He asked them to consider not whether they may be blind themselves as they're trying to lead other people. And you can't see it in the text and we haven't thought about it because we've heard it forever. How many people have heard the speck in the eye, log in the eye kind of thing? Like you've heard it sometime in your life. It's, it's almost a little bit like, you know, the pot calling the kettle black. Like it's that kind of thing. We, it's almost this kitschy kind of phrase that we just use. Jesus was actually telling a joke. In this part, people would have laughed when he said this and just think about it. And I've got a, a problem with my eye and that I have a couple of eyelashes that like to grow into my eyeball and it's really bad. And I'm, I forget it. And it's every two months. And I'll think, man, I think I've, I tell Lisa, I'm like, I think I've got allergies. And she's like, it's your thing. It's, it's the eyelashes. Oh yeah, that's right. I should call the eye doctor. So I go and they, you know, sit there and it feels like they are rocks in my eyes. Okay. It's awful. And so they have to get in there and and basically pull them out. Um, You know, they pull down that huge, massive thing with the, you know, it's like, look into the thing. I'm so sorry. Open, look up, look left, look down, look right. And I'm like, I have really strong reflexes with my eyelids. And so I hate it. Imagine if the eye doctor came in, said, okay, let's get started. And I looked up. And there's this massive eye patch on her with blood oozing down. And she's like holding it like this. Hey, Chad, how's it going? Grabs the tweezers. Let's just get, let's just get. I'd be like, whoa, we're not doing this. That's what Jesus is saying. Everybody would have been laughing. He says, it's it's a guy coming up to you with a two by four in the side of his eyeball. And he's saying, hey, can I do eye surgery on you? That's how ridiculous it is. And so that's what Jesus, he's trying to point out the fact that, hey, let's talk about you. Let's turn it around, which is why I say it's judge Jesus. This is what he's trying to say. The judge of the earth, the judge of the nations wants us to focus on him. When Jesus talks about judging and judgment, forgiveness and mercy, we should listen. We should listen. Hebrews 9, 27. Did you know there's an appointment you will keep whether you want to or not? It is appointed for man to die. You may think it's up to chance. I can't believe that happened. You know, that thought we have when we see some bad accident and then we drive really careful, you know, because we don't. It is appointed. Scripture tells us the days are numbered for you. No matter how it happens, it is appointed once for man to die. Who knows the rest of it? And then face judgment. You will keep that appointment. And guess who's going to be standing there? Judge Jesus. Judge Jesus. So we read about this and we look at the opening story and we say, okay, Jesus wants me to treat others well. He wants me to do it with discernment. We are to judge each other in the body of Christ. We are to speak to people that don't know Jesus and tell them that something yeah, it's, that is, God would say that's a sin. We're not to be afraid of that. Not to be like wild, crazy, mean people with discernment in relationship as the opportunities come for sure. We're not to be afraid of that, but the Lord wants you to go deeper and to realize that he's really calling you to look at him as the judge of your life. So this thought presents a problem though. Maybe I'll give you this. Okay, fine. He's the judge, but if I'm gonna stand before him someday and he looks at me and he turns that light on me and he judges me and he holds the scales up, he's got the sword in his hand and he's doing it with perfect justice, there's some pretty rotten stuff in my life. I don't think I'll pass that test because I'll be standing there with planks in both eyes, double two by four walking around, blind, having shown no mercy, condemning people left and right. What do I do about that? Jesus anticipates and says, well, let me tell you another story. Verse 43. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is known by its own fruit. Figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. Good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil for out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Now he's not saying rocket science stuff here, is he? It's like kind of like, okay, yep. Got tracking, tracking. Gotcha. Jesus. Fig, fig, thorn, 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 fig. No, right? Basic stuff. Then he throws in that little thing there though at the end. Out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. You ever had something you've said and you've said, why did I say that? I can't, I'm so sorry. I can't believe I said that. You know what Jesus can say? I can believe it. (laughs) I don't know why I did that. I do. Jesus is right there. And what is he saying? Whatever kind of tree you are, that's the kind of fruit you'll produce. Are you saying I'm a bad tree? Are you saying that there's no possibility for good fruit? Common grace will mean, yes, there'll be some nice things that will appear in our life, like our call for justice, like our call for goodness, like our kindness. But ultimately, as it deals with the Lord, something happened way back when to cause us to be in a state of utter Failure and inability to produce the kind of fruit that will lead to life. Now, Jesus is strategic when he talks about things. He doesn't randomly think, hmm, I think I'm going to talk about Legos next, because I think that might help them get it. No, trees and fruit. Trees and fruit. Where in the Bible do we know about trees? Genesis, the tree of life, God says, partake from this. It represents my presence. It represents my life given to you. We commune. We're in relationship. There's another tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, a.k.a. the tree where I decide what is right and wrong, not where God decides. Oh, Yeah, that was the one. And that's the one that is behind every sin of your life. Every sin of your life says, I decide. I want to decide what's right and wrong. I don't want you as the judge. And so we all know the way that story happened. It's a little bit like watching a horror movie or entering a haunted house. My friend, Paul Birch, who just texted me yesterday to say, hey, we are best friends in high school. We we're both athletes. We we're both strong football players. He's a basketball player played for the University of Tennessee. And yet in one break from school, we were in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. Just the two of us, our parents gave us some money. We went down and went to a haunted house. And here are these two strong manly young men, not afraid of anything, heading into a haunted house. And we were hugging each other the whole time. (laughs) I mean, if you could have seen us, I literally were like this. And I'm like, you go first. No, you go first. No, come on, come on. I was like, what are we doing? And we push away every once in a while, but then we'd be like right back to each other, waiting for something to jump out. You look at Genesis 3, you're watching Eve and Adam, and Eve is literally moving her hand to the tree, and it's like the Geico commercial. Let's go in there where the chainsaws are. (laughs) It's so bad, you're saying, don't do it, don't do it. And it happens. They go for it, they pursue it, and you would have to. And they pull that fruit from a tree, and all of a sudden... Everything goes crazy and God closes off the Garden of Eden, puts angels in front with flaming swords back and forth and says something really interesting. Don't let them in because they might grab fruit from the tree of life and live forever. Huh? I thought this whole thing was about that. John three sixteen: For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should have everlasting life. You don't want us to grab from that tree. So you got to look a little bit, dig a little bit. And people that are smarter than me, I looked in some commentaries. Why would God close it off to prevent them? And God, the Trinity actually talks to each other. Lest they go in there and grab from the tree of life. We can't have that. But here's why. They were in a state of death. They had chosen to decide for themselves what good and evil were. And if they reach for the fruit in that moment, without God having done something else for them, they're eternally dead. So God says, block it. Close it off. Operation Seed Serpent Go. And what we're about to enter in Christmas, because what do we see happen? Moses happens to encounter God in a burning bush, a little tree. People keep making these idols, high places made out of trees. God keeps faithfully until we get to this part where God steps in and says, "I will send my son to die on a tree." On a tree. And Deuteronomy 21:23 says this, "The man who hangs on a tree is cursed by God And second Corinthians tells us that he made him who knew no sin to become sin, to become a curse on our behalf so that, and here it is, we might become the righteousness of God. Not that we get a little close, but that we might become the righteousness of God. So when Jesus speaks of trees and fruit, yeah, you want to think about the kind of fruit that's coming out in your life, but you want to get your spiritual pencil and journal out because what he's really trying to tell you is this, the Jesus tree bears Jesus fruit. The Jesus tree bears Jesus fruit, nothing else. Nothing else will do it. So if you want to have the kind of fruit he's talking about, you better be a part of the Jesus tree. In John 15, he gives us another little hint when he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. I am the tree, you are the branches. You become a part of his life, the Jesus tree. What he did on the cross gives you the opportunity. We make the mistake, and even if you've heard this your whole life, and even if you think you're clear, you're clear of this problem, it will come up at least once a week in your life that we think there are prerequisites for Jesus loving us and staying with us. And if we're honest, you had a day last week, maybe this morning, where you thought I'm I'm so worthless. I can't even Lord, I don't even know why you put up with me. That's normal. That's religion. That's the enemy's plan. Work hard Work hard, hang the fruit on the thorn tree, do your best, put up a show. We think Jesus, and most of the world thinks this too, we're heading into Christmas. They think he is an old Santa Claus walking around with a clipboard, checking his list twice. And no, not just naughty or nice and no, not coal in your stocking. It's hell if you don't measure up. That's religion. You know, Jesus says, I did it for you. The gospel says the opposite. We receive unmeasured. You know that opening part about judging and measuring and shaking it down and give out the right amount of justice. You know, Jesus says with grace, have all of it, unending supply of my love and grace. I pour it out for you. You need access to him, to the tree of life. Your sin prevents you from partaking. It's only through Christ, his life, death, resurrection, that you will get there. So judgment, mercy, forgiveness, scales, measuring, trees, fruit. Jesus is like, eh? No? One more. 46. Why do you call me Lord? Why are you calling me Lord? Why do you keep saying that? Why do you keep saying that to me? Why are you praying to me that way? Why are you calling me Lord? I'm not your Lord. I haven't, you don't see me that way. Why do you keep saying that? Why do you call me Lord? Lord, don't pass over phrases like that. Get the heart behind it. Jesus basically, why'd you call me that? Why, why are you talking to me? What do you want from me? You're not living like you want me this from me. Why are you talking to me this way? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me, hears my words and does them. Let me tell you what they're like. Let me just tell you what they're like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep. Don't pass over this phrase here too. Because I think sometimes we think it's like, yep, I accepted, went forward. Back, I don't know. I was a kid, said yeah to Jesus. I mean, I go to church every once in a while and he dug deep deep. He laid a foundation. He went to work. There is a place of pursuing God, of going after him. Lay the foundation on the rock. And when a flood came, stream broke against that house, could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and doesn't do them, the things that I said, I wanted you to do, I wanted you to obey, just hears it and is like, ah, I don't care doesn't do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation sand stream broke against it immediately it fell the ruin of that house was great and when you hear house I want you to think life the ruin of that man was great eternally great we can learn a lot from the images that Jesus puts, us, puts in front of us. Why build a house? Just think about it. He says, it's like a man building a house. Why do we build homes? What are we trying to do? Just a place to sleep and eat? Yeah. But there's something else too. There's something else that causes you to lock your door at night. And I'm that guy, I can lock my door, go do a couple of other things, trying to get ready to head upstairs and be like, did I lock it? I seriously go back again. Turn on the light. It looks locked. Turn off the light. Turn it on. Maybe I didn't turn it all the way. I'll seriously go out there, probably like third time. Click, click, click. Okay, you're good. Do this manly thing of looking around. Stay away, everybody. Boom, turn the light off, go to bed. Why do we have houses? Because we know that there are things out there that can get us. We wanna be protected for sure from the elements and stuff. Hey, we live in Minnesota, <laughs> in Wisconsin. And so we have this thing in us that knows there's a little switch that goes off, isn't it? It's kind of end of October, November for sure. If you haven't done it now, that alarm is just sounding. And what is it telling you? You need to winterize. It takes all day. Got to go out there, move everything from the summer down there, right in the shed, whatever, bring the snowblower up, do this, put your boat away, winterize, all this stuff. We know there's these things we have to do. Why? What's coming? Snow. (laughs) Lots of snow. It's the same thing even, do you know you can smell a storm coming? Rain. Why do you smell it? I'm weird. I look these things up when I'm studying. That's ozone you're smelling. Lightning strikes even when you don't see it. Miles away, it strikes, it heats the air to 50,000 degrees. That's hot. Um, The air is 78% nitrogen, barely 20% oxygen. When the lightning heats the air, it splits the bonds between nitrogen and oxygen and so then you have all these little n's and o's floating around the air begins to cool the particles come back together but every once in a while you got a rogue o that says i'm gonna go not join with nitrogen i'm gonna join with another o2 and that becomes o3 ozone and you with your great sense of smell being a human being created in the image of god where he gives you the ability to. Detect something in as little as 10 parts per billion. That's like a teaspoon of something in an Olympic sized swimming pool, and you're like, I smell something. It's bad in this pool. It's bad in this pool. Get out, like you tell your kids. <laughs> That's how we sense, we know something is up. We know there's a storm coming. Did you know it's the same for your soul? For your heart? Why do we build houses? Why is Jesus talking about houses and protection and the ability to be protected from the elements? Because he knows, yeah, maybe I didn't get you with the judge thing. And maybe I didn't get you with the fruit and tree thing, but I'm for sure getting you with the house thing. You're going to connect to that. You're going to be like, yeah, I totally like my house. I like being protected. I like walking in. It's one of my favorite things is the winter. I know I'm still, it's only 10 years in Minnesota, but I still think snow's cool. And I, but I love going inside and just being warm and looking at the snow outside. But we know we need it. We know we have to do that. Jesus is wanting people to realize there is a storm coming. What storm? Sometimes things are a little hidden and you have to dig, and sometimes they're like fat in your face in the text. And so in verse 48, he says, So that when the flood comes, flood. Flood, 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 Noah. Why did that flood come? Judgment. See what he's doing? Isn't he good? Isn't he good? He's a great storyteller. He can weave this yarn and you think you've got him out of your mind and he's hooked you. You know the storm is coming. You know the flood is coming. You know your soul is coming. Better be strong, weatherproof, buttoned up. Can you? Do you know that? Because that flood is coming. And so he asked the question, and then Jesus answers and says, This it all depends on the foundation. It all depends on the foundation. Genesis, it all depended on the tree. Jesus reinforced that truth in the last little section by saying your fruit will indicate which one you are a part of. What's your foundation? Will your life hold up to the coming flood of judgment? And here's his answer. The house built on the Jesus rock will not fall. No matter what, no ifs, ands, or buts, no maybes, it won't fall. It will hold. How can you tell, Jesus? He says, here's how you can tell. Here's how you can tell you were built on me. When you hear these words, even if you think you can push them away for a little bit, you will always be drawn back to them and they will scream in your heart and they will call to you. Just like with me sitting there every morning in my chair time, he speaks to me through his word. And even if I'm like, I'm not talking to you today, no. (laughs) What do I hear? He's just ringing in my ears and my heart, calling to me. Here's how you know, you'll listen and you'll do it. Eventually you will obey him. Not because you like, oh, I got to work really hard to do this, hanging figs on thorn bushes. No, you'll do it because I have made you. You have become the righteousness of God. I've changed you. The one who listens to his word, does what it says, has clearly been given the keys to a house. You didn't build it. You come to Christ, you get turnkey, okay? He walks up and says, you want this? Admit your place of death and that you can't do it yourself, accept what I've done. Yes, cool, here are the keys. Your house is fixed, it cannot be shaken. Now there will also be other storms. And if you live in America right now, even if you don't know exactly what it is, we smell something, don't we? There's cultural ozone. We can, we, can, we can picture something. Something's happening. And Jesus, you know what he says? Don't worry about it. So? Do you know that every nation on the earth will eventually fall before Jesus returns? Every nation. We're not guaranteed a republic. Now, do we pray for it? Do we hope for it? Sure. That's definitely, we pray for the peace of the city. We pray for justice. We pray for our government leaders. But Jesus says, hey, by the way, it all hits the fan eventually. The only thing you need to think about, the one house you need to worry about is your house. Is it fixed and firm on me? If you belong to Jesus, even if the cultural storm comes for you, which could mean you lose reputation, job, you could be canceled. Somebody may even hurt you. It's happening around the world already for people that know Jesus. Jesus says, you will not lose me. You will not lose your eternal reward. Your house will stand under the pressure of the world. And I wanna tell you right now, as a believer in Jesus, as a man of God, in our little town here in Winona, Minnesota, I am looking for people to stand with. And they're right here. This is my, these are my people right here. We will stand with Jesus in this church. We will stand with him with mercy and grace and kindness to a world that doesn't know him, but we will not fall back. Why do I know that? Because I know that I just have been handed the keys. It's fixed. It's firm. If you belong to him, you won't walk away. Amen. Amen. Judge Jesus. Have you moved your judgment day? stole that phrase from a pastor in Nashville, Scott Sauls. If you have accepted him, recognized your need for him and your sin and have said, I'll take the house. I'll take the house. Then your judgment day got moved to 33 AD. It's already happened. If you didn't, if you're taking your chances, your judgment is yet to come. Because for those who had their judgment day moved, when you die and you stand before the Lord, he will look at your record and he will see the record of Jesus Christ and he'll say, hmm, 33 AD, good job. Good job. That's all you had to do. How do we do this? The Jesus tree gives us access. The Jesus tree gives us access. He is the tree of life. And how will we know? in our own life. You want to put yourself to a little test today? You love his word. Every word. you love it. You'll want to pursue it. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. We're going to come to the table. And here's the only qualification for doing this. It is that you have moved your judgment day. That's it. But for those who are sitting here, and maybe you haven't, this isn't like, oh, shoot, I should get out of here then. No, it's for you to say, Maybe I should. I mean, all these people are sitting around here eating. Maybe I should consider giving myself to Jesus and be a part of his family forever. I read the same verses. I love these verses. I love that the Lord's plan is not random. And hundreds of years before in Isaiah, he spoke of Jesus And said this. Yeah, go ahead and crinkle your stuff. COVID, stupid COVID. Did I say that out loud? I'm sorry. (laughs) Isaiah 53 He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, as from one, and as one from whom men hide their faces. What is Isaiah saying there? He was so disfigured so beaten beyond recognition that people looked at him and said, whoa, I don't even want to look at you. He was despised and we esteemed him not. We thought nothing of him. But with the gift of faith, which we know comes from God, it's not something you muster up on your own. You believe this, surely he has borne our grief, carried our, my sorrows, Yet I just thought he was stricken and smitten by God, afflicted on his own. What did he do? Faith rises, but he was truly pierced for my sin. I was a thorn bush, producing thorns all day long. No fruit. He was crushed for that. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, if we're willing, if we say yes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And you could add anyway. Anyway, <laughs> in spite of us. So Jesus sat at the table. I was reminded this morning that he was sitting also with Judas sitting with Judas remember a couple weeks ago we talked about Judas and Peter the only difference is Peter said please forgive me I, I, I want back in sitting with Judas as they were eating Jesus took bread and Judas actually was in the honored spot I don't know if you knew that Judas was in the honored spot to Jesus left broke bread here take this and eat it this is my body let's partake together One more crinkle. There we go. He took a cup and when he had given thanks, I want you to just pause for a moment. Jesus thanked the Father. Imagine what that prayer was like. I imagine him saying, thank you. It's here. It's finally here, Father. We talked about it before the world was created. We planned this in the throne room, ancient of days. We're here, we're here. Thank you, Father, we're here. And he gave it to them saying, drink of it. All of you, you must partake of the Jesus tree. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom, which can you guess what is going to be in that banquet and garden at the end? A tree. Same tree, tree of life, presence of God restored. Let's partake together. Let me pray with me. Oh, Lord, we just love you. We know we can't even say that if it weren't for your spirit, having given us life, having given us the ability to open our mouth, convicted us of our thorn producing, <laughs> that we can't help it. Oh, Lord, we love you. Lord, my King, my brother, savior, redeemer, friend, we love you. God draw us in this season to you. And may we hear angels declaring your glory and your grace and your goodness for all mankind. Call us, Lord. Call us to your heart. We bless you, Jesus. Would you minister to us now as we worship together? Amen.